You're listening to the Transport for the North podcast. Hello and welcome to the Transport for the North podcast. I'm your host, Tony Belshaw, and today we've got Jamie Driscoll, who's the mayor for the combined authority of North of Tyne. Hello, Jamie. Hello, Tony. It's nice to be here. Good to have you. So yeah, just just firstly, just tell us a little bit about um, you and your role. You've been mayor for the North of Tyne since 2019, is that right? That's right. A um, little over three years now. So it's the same role as the other Metro mayors. Um, Steve Rotherham, Andy Burnham, um, Oliver Coppard, Tracy Rabin, other mayors in the north. And it's unlike them, we don't have the transport powers devolved. And maybe come on to that because we have been negotiating for devolution. But Metro mayors cover a region. In our case, it's Newcastle, the city of Newcastle, North Tyneside urban area, and the vast county of Northumberland, all the way to the Scottish borders and Berwick. So it's a big area when it comes to transport. Yeah, I think it's it's actually the biggest of all the combined authorities, am I right? That's right, it is the biggest, yeah. Um, yeah. You've got very rural areas, you've got problems with poor bus services, we've got congestion and, and issues about clean air zones in the city area, so there's a lot to deal with. Of course, uh, Tyneside is, uh, when you think of Tyneside and its traditional industries, you think of shipbuilding and coal, um, but obviously there's been a lot of changes there as there have been throughout the country. So um, what does the business landscape look like today in, in the north of Tyne? You're absolutely right. When people think of the northeast, they think of the heavy engineering. So we were originally, there was more coal shipped out than the, the mouth of the Tyne than was dug out of the ground in the rest of the world put together in the early phases of the Industrial Revolution. Uh, we, we built ships that went around the world. We built most of uh, some of the most famous bridges in the world. Um, and uh, you know, the time itself is famous for its bridges. A lot of that industry moved on. Now, I'm an engineer by profession anyway, before I became a, a politician. And um, that's, that's a very recent twist in my career. So we've shifted that transition away from the high carbon industries of the past into the decarbonisation of the future. So some of the things is we've invested in heavily is offshore wind. And as the combined authority, we're responsible for the skills aspect. We've convened, we've levered in investment, we've landed some really big investments, created lots of jobs. We still need more support for the government from this because although we are seeing wind turbines going up in the North Sea, the government needs to change policy to make sure these wind turbines are built in Britain. I really think that's true. We have the gigafactory, in fact, we have two gigafactories within a, a stone's throw of where I am now in Newcastle being built. The British Vault one in the north of Tyne and the Envision one in Sunderland near the Nissan plant. And that's the first two gigafactories to electrify transport. And it's not just cars, it's all sorts of things that are going to need electrifying. Um, ice cream vans, um, fire engines, bulldozers, the lot. You know, there's uh, so there's a lot of technology needs developing there. And one of the things we've done, and I'm very pleased about, is we were recently announced as the number one inward investment centre outside of London in the whole country. Now, if you consider our population is just a million people, to be punching at that kind of weight, I'm particularly impressed with, because it's been a priority of mine, creating jobs. We have a target from central government to create 10,000 jobs over 30 years. In three years, we've already completed 13 years of that target with the pipeline of jobs we've got. You know what, it's, it's not been an easy time through COVID. I don't think anyone's found that when you're trying to administer public services and economic regeneration, all of 
all of the challenges that we face in the public sector. Um, but uh, to, to have achieved as much as we have, I'm actually quite chuffed. That's great to hear. Um, so lots of potential for future business opportunities uh, in, in the north of Tyne. But but uh, what, what role can transport play in enabling those opportunities and how can it also inhibit them? Well, transport is integrated with everything else. We've got skills, you have housing, you have transport, and of course you have the good work itself needing investment. So we're top of the league tables. We don't want to be top off. Child poverty is worse in the worse in the northeast, for example. And in the end, it comes down to can you get people into good, well-paid jobs, and can we make sure that any job, regardless of, of where it might seem in, in terms of the status of jobs, is enough to earn a dignified living? So transport is key to that because there are pockets. For example, the town of Ashington. Um, has a lot of deprivation in it. That's an old coalfield town. The mines closed some decades ago. And despite various attempts to get business parks open there with some success, it is still largely cut off from Newcastle, which is really, what, 20 minutes, half an hour's drive away if you can afford a car. If you can't afford a car, well, what do you do? Buses are expensive, it's difficult. And I've heard stories from teachers there of the kids who've left school who've wanted to go and study at Newcastle College. And she'll say, you'll see, you know, a dozen of them there at the bus stop in September. And then she drives past in January when it's cold and wet and there's two or three left. And some of them have given up and they've taken lower paid jobs and they've given up on their career prospects of getting that, that higher education. So that's what transport can make a difference. Now, we've been pushing for a long time and I'm pleased to say I've, I've spoken to Secretary of State and Rail Ministers and the rail line is being reopened. We've got that from the, the beaching um, reversal fund. Uh, the uh, the transport, the works order has now been uh, signed off and that line should be opening around December 23. Now that's big news uh, for these people because it goes through Blythe and as a combined authority we're developing that economic corridor. Because one thing to have the transport, that's absolutely key, but the transport is no good unless people invest along the corridor and take advantage of it. So we're doing both. But what I'd really like to get to is to make the progress that, uh, fingers crossed, we're almost there with our devolution deal. Because uh, the biggest transport asset we have in the Northeast is the Tyne and Weir metro system. 36 stations are north of the River Tyne, so we're in my patch, 24 are south of the Tyne, when individual local authorities, they're not part of a combined authority. So we have not been given devolved governance of it. So if we can get that devolved governance, and I've been speaking to transport ministers and treasury ministers and local government ministers, and they're all agreed. And we've, we've, we're working through some of the fine print, um, but if we get that, that signed off, then that gives us the opportunity to finally integrate public transport. Because the real thing, Tony, is what we need to get to is mobility as a service. Now, you've got a, a, probably a fairly educated listenership when it comes to transport on this podcast. But for the benefit of anyone who's not, that's changing the focus away from moving vehicles to about moving people. And you can get a, a, an app on a phone where you can use it and you just say, look, I'm here, I wanna go there, and it'll calculate your best options. It might even book your parking space for when you get there to save you driving round and round in your tailpipe emissions. But it'll say, look, if you walk here, if you get this bus, if you get this metro, it'll integrate the entire thing. And to do that, we also need safer bike parking. We need better cycleways. I'm a big advocate of active travel, 
Uh, I don't own a car myself. I sold my car through COVID, decided I would lead from the front, and I now just use public transport and walking and cycling. Um, although, if I'm really honest, it was when I turned 50, I realised I need to do something about my waistline as well. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, at Transport for the North, we try to promote this uh, One North approach. So that, that's all of the authorities of the North coming together and using their collective voice uh, as one. Uh, how do you think that helps with um, helping to um, improve the transport options that come to North Town? It hit the news last year when the integrated rail plan came out, of course, that uh, everybody unanimously across the north was critical that the government had not matched their manifesto commitments and the promises that had been made. And uh, hopefully that's going to be reversed. And myself and the other mayors have written to uh, the, the Tory leadership candidates and um, Liz Truss, who we'll see, you know, it's, it's for Tory members to decide, not me. Uh, but she has said that she will re reverse that now. You know, government have made promises before and not kept them, but nevertheless, that is certainly um, welcome to hear. And it's that speaking with one voice that makes a difference. Transport, by its very definition, involves moving you from one place to another. So it does require joined up governance. And Britain has been operated on a hub and spoke model in and out of London for far too long. Not just its railways, but its actual physical on the ground infrastructure. I can get from where I live in Newcastle central London faster than I can get to Liverpool on a train. And that's crazy. You know, Liverpool's in the north. Yeah, OK, it's, it's sort of the diagonally across the north from us, but it's a lot closer than London as a crow flies. And it needs that investment. And when we talk about the idea of the one north, even beyond transport, we all have the same issues. Central government has been focused on London for so long that that needs to change. And, and how can and regional bodies like TFN continue to champion the case for investment and highlight the full potential of the North of Time? One of the things that um, Transport for the North does well is the expertise that it provides with its officer team, that ability to analyse. So there are things that, that I would know intuitively, partly as a, just a transport user, partly as a member of all the committees and my role as mayor, but it's one thing to have an instinct that I think such and such a project looks like the right idea. It's quite enough, quite a different uh, situation to have someone going through the detail, doing the engineering assessments, coming up with the business cases. And that's what Transport for the North does. It's got that capacity. I know there's been funding cuts, but it's been important to preserve some of that, which, which thankfully we have. And that's a, a very useful resource for everybody in the North, not just uh, you know, political leaders like me. And of course, we're talking as the, um, the the leadership campaign for our next prime minister is still uh, underway. So I know that they're, they're great um, TFN podcast listeners, the pair of them. So um, what would you say to them about their transport priorities and what they should be concentrating on if they were to stand in front of 10 Downing Street? Well, there's two sides to this, Tony. They both um, have connections with the North, this trust grew up in Leeds, Rishi Sunak's constituencies in North Yorkshire. So number one, don't forget the region, because we've suffered from that for a long, long time. Liz Truss has committed to the extra 25 billion needed to deliver the, uh, the integrated rail plan's promise of transport for the north in full. Um, so that needs to happen. But secondly, what I would say is the climate emergency is real. It's not going away. And if we're to address it, We've got to get beyond 
fossil fuels driving whatever the vehicles are, whatever the processes are, and make sure we have a real investment in electrification, but also public transport. You know, we face a very serious cost of living crisis in this country. And we have to get to the point where public transport is not only more convenient, not only faster, but cheaper, more comfortable and safer. And that goes beyond the physical infrastructure. And that means paying for the staff to run it properly so that they all have a, a decent wage and you don't end up in this ridiculous situation which happens in many cities where some people, whether elderly or young or, or, or women in many cases, feel a little bit uncomfortable, a little bit uneasy using public transport in an evening. Let's have public transport replacing cars as the first choice for many people. I would love it if government backed me in a plan to get 100,000 cars off the road in Tyneside because we have better public transport. And of course, the Transport Committee has recently called for the, the government to look again at its uh, integrated rail plan um, uh, and look again uh, at, at um, uh, high speed two going uh, east of the Pennines. That, that's important for, um, for the northeast, isn't it? It is. We have uh, the, the rail system across the north is, uh, is, of course, one system and congestion in the Castleford corridor in Manchester can cause delays when you're going between Edinburgh and Newcastle. Uh, and it's not immediately obvious till you start to look at it. And so that, that east-west connectivity from West Yorkshire over the Pennines uh, into Greater Manchester and beyond into Liverpool needs to happen. And there is an issue. I mean, Steve Rotherham um, articulates this very well. The, the plan is to, to upgrade some of the line into Merseyside, but it will cause so much disruption that it will close the route into Lime Street Station or, or severely restrict it for years. And they would never quite recover the economic damage from that for something that's just a minor upgrade. So we really do need to be investing properly. The, the rail system in the northeast, I'm talking about open reopening the Leam side line, these were built in the, the 1850s and we haven't had upgrades since. Yes, all right, there's been renewal of track and there's overhead lines in many places now, but it's not like we've had anything new built or opened. Do we want to be a modern country and an advanced economy or not? You cannot cut your way to prosperity. You can only invest your way to prosperity. And I think I'm right in saying that you you don't drive a car yourself, so you're you you've got a, a vested interest in 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 transport being as good as possible, isn't that right? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's absolutely true. For the avoidance of doubt, I can drive and have a clean driving license <laughs> and a perfect driving record. <laughs> I just choose not to own a car. Uh, I think you know that that's got to be the future. There's a famous quote from Henry Ford. He said, if people had asked, if I'd asked people what they wanted, they would have said faster horses. And we, we've got to get away from this idea of owning private cars, because even if they have zero tailpipe emissions, even if we end up with a fully renewable electricity generating system, which is not any on the horizon anytime soon, the resources that go into making these things are vast. We cannot have the situation where we have an 80 kilo human taking a 1600 kilo vehicle with them when they want to pop to the shops. We need a better way of doing things. And it happened, you know, we did not as standard own personal transport for most of history. So with, I would like to think we'll get there. I'd like to think the technology will help us a bit. It does need public policy, but where we can have self-driving cars that you don't have your own car parked on your drive doing nothing for 93% of the time. That you just call one up when you need it. That will be, uh, that, that's a little bit sci-fi at the moment, um, but uh, better public transport in the meantime absolutely has to be the way. Mayor Jamie Driscoll, thanks very much indeed. Thanks, Tony.
Thanks to all our listeners. I hope you've enjoyed this conversation with Mayor Driscoll. Remember, if you've missed any of our previous podcast episodes, you can get them on our website at transportforthenorth.com forward slash podcast. And you can keep up to date with all our latest news via our social media channels. Just search Transport for the North. Thanks for listening. We'll see you soon. Thanks for listening to the Transport for the North podcast. Don't forget you can subscribe on Spotify and SoundCloud so you never miss an episode. You can find us on Twitter, LinkedIn and Facebook for all our latest updates. And join us on our website where you can find all the latest news and sign up to our All Points North newsletter.